0: and welcome to The Weight of Glory. This is your host, Clayton Emmer. In today's episode, Cale Zeldin and I resume our discussion of Pope Benedict XVI's encyclical letter on Christian hope. Specifically, we read and reflect on paragraphs 32 through 38, settings for learning and practicing hope. Benedict XVI speaks in these paragraphs of prayer, and suffering as two schools of hope. I apologize for the audio quality of this episode. We had a hot mic which led to some volume issues. Nevertheless, I hope you're able to enjoy this presentation, which we recorded some six months ago, December of 2020, in the midpoint of the pandemic. Settings for learning and practicing hope. Number one, prayer as a school of hope. A first essential setting for learning hope is prayer. When no one listens to me anymore, God still listens to me. When I can no longer talk to anyone or call upon anyone, I can always talk to God. When there is no longer anyone to help me deal with a need or expectation that goes beyond the human capacity for hope, he can help me. When I have been plunged into complete solitude. If I pray, I am never totally alone. The late Cardinal Yun Van Ton, a prisoner for 13 years, nine of them spent in solitary confinement, has left us a precious little book, Prayers of Hope. During 13 years in jail, in a situation of a seemingly utter hopelessness, the fact that he could listen and speak to God became for him an increasing power of hope which enabled him, after his release, to become for people all over the world a witness to hope, to that great hope which does not wane even in the nights of solitude. St. Augustine, in a homily on the first letter of John, describes very beautifully the intimate relationship between prayer and hope. He defines prayer as an exercise of desire. Man was created for greatness, for God himself. He was created to be filled by God but his heart is too small for the greatness to which he is destined. It must be stretched. Quote, by delaying his gift, God strengthens our desire. Through desire, he enlarges our soul, and by expanding it, he increases its capacity for receiving him. End quote. Augustine refers to St. Paul, who speaks of himself as straining forward to the things that are to come. He then uses a very beautiful image to describe this process of enlargement. And preparation of the human heart. Quote, suppose that God wishes to fill you with honey, a symbol of God's tenderness and goodness, but if you are full of vinegar, where will you put the honey? Unquote. The vessel, that is, your heart, must first be enlarged and then cleansed, freed from the vinegar and its taste. This requires hard work and is painful, but in this way alone do we become suited to that for which we are destined. Even if Augustine speaks directly only of our capacity for God, it is nevertheless clear that through this effort, by which we are freed from vinegar and the taste of vinegar, not only are we made free for God, but we also become open to others. It is only by becoming children of God that we can be with our common father. To pray is not to step outside history and withdraw to our own private corner of happiness, When we pray properly, we undergo a process of inner purification, which opens us up to God and thus to our fellow human beings as well. In prayer, we must learn what we can truly ask of God, what is worthy of God. We must learn that we cannot pray against others. We must learn that we cannot ask for the superficial and comfortable things that we desire at this moment, that meager, misplaced hope that leads us away from God. We must learn to purify our desires and our hopes. We must free ourselves from the hidden lies with which we deceive ourselves. God sees through them, and when we come before God, we too are forced to recognize them. Quote, but who can discern his errors? Clear me from hidden faults, prays the psalmist. Failure to recognize my guilt, the illusion of my innocence, does not justify me and does not save me because I am culpable for the numbness of my conscience and my incapacity to recognize the evil in me for what it is. If God does not exist, perhaps I have to seek refuge in these lies, because there is no one who can forgive me, no one who is the true criterion. Yet my encounter with God awakens my conscience in such a way that it no longer aimed at self-justification and is no longer a mere reflection of me and those of my contemporaries who shape my thinking, but it becomes a capacity for listening to the good itself. For prayer to develop this power of purification, it must be, on the one hand, something very personal, an encounter between my intimate self and God, the living God. On the other hand, it must be constantly guided and enlightened by the great prayers of the church and of the saints, by liturgical prayer, in which the Lord teaches us again and again how to pray properly. Cardinal Yin Van in his book of spiritual exercises, tells us that during his life there were long periods when he was unable to pray and that he would hold fast to the texts of the church's prayer, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, and the prayers of the liturgy. Praying must always involve this intermingling of public and personal prayer. This is how we can speak to God and how God speaks to us. In this way, we undergo those purifications by which we become open to God and are prepared for the service of our fellow human beings. We become capable of the great hope, and thus we become ministers of hope for others. Hope, in a Christian sense, is always hope for others as well. It is an active hope, in which we struggle to prevent things moving towards the perverse end. It is an active hope also in the sense that we keep the world open to God. Only in this way... Does it continue to be a truly human hope?
1: Shocked sure, by a couple of things, um, somewhat in order here, I suppose. Um, but he says in that first paragraph, paragraph 32, that, you know, if I pray, I'm never totally alone. And, and he seems to be anticipating the lack or the loss, you know, that there, that, 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 this is precisely what we will experience, right? When, uh, because it seems to me that hope always has its opposite sort of built in, right? So like when you're filled with hope, as good and necessary as it is, it always seems to be really close to despair, right? Right. It's always kind of there. Uh, And the the despair that I don't have anybody to talk to, right, as he says here, you know, that uh, I have been, plunged into complete solitude and so that's a, a, a paradox it seems to me you know that 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 it is in solitude in which we encounter the living god often right but it is also in solitude where we encounter the you know the the, the, the sort of radical aloneness right mm-hmm. uh and yet he will then quickly say if i pray i'm never totally alone right and then he brings a cardinal um a ton. And you know, it, it, I'm struck by that. I'm, yeah. I'm, struck, I'm struck by the the solitude um, that that he seems to be focusing on a night of solitude. And then, and then, then uh, this this middle paragraph here uh, with the invocation of Augustine again. You know that Augustine always uh, or often seems to be riffing on the idea of the heart, right? And the heart as a sort of a locus for desire. You know, in the heart, either being uh, ill-oriented um, because ill-focused, um, because ill-aimed, um, but here in this construction, the heart is too small. Yeah, you know, and that and that the heart has to be stretched out to contain uh, or to be a. A dwelling place, you know, a tabernacle um, for the Lord, and, and so that then the prayer, prayer, uh, is a form of stretching out of the heart. I think that's that's mm-hmm. pretty fascinating, um, yeah. and uh, I'm a little surprised that he elects to not open this up with the psalm 51 you know um creating me a clean heart oh god and renew the right spirit within me um etc you know i'm uh you know th- because he says here in the middle of that paragraph, the vessel that is your heart must first be enlarged and then cleansed freed from the vinegar and its taste so that it can be um you know a holding of of honey you know yeah. the sort of this this um unearned sweetness right you know that the yeah. you know that, that nobody makes honey the bees do their thing and then it's just it's just pure gift right in which i i think honey and grace um are are twinned here maybe in that image you know mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so that that we are hindered um our ability to to accept and receive the grace that is offered um always and everywhere and every day anew we're hindered by the smallness of our heart, but also, significantly, the, the sort of the the, the vinegar-infested uh, heart uh, that we that we possess. It's a fascinating thing. He doesn't use that construction. I'm sort of right building it based on what he's saying here. But instead of the the the, 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 the heart where honey, you know, um, is contained, here we have hearts of vinegar, and like that's just a great it's a great image.
0: Yeah, it um, is.
1: And and not one that I'm familiar with. I, I'm not familiar with this honey and vinegar heart thing.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering where Augustine was coming from. If, it, if there's a larger context in there. Yeah. Um, I think it comes up again in John of the Cross, if I'm not mistaken. Which is... Um, no I thing. think he yeah. uses... Yeah. Yeah, I think he, uh, he probably might be even referencing Augustine when he does it. And it's the whole thing of God doesn't give us what we don't ask for some, I mean, in the sense of when it comes to deepening in prayer he's, if we don't want it, he's not going to give it. Or right. if our taste is for something less then he's not going to like, you know, not going to make us well, suddenly desire what we, yeah. Don't
1: right. Right. And it, it, it would seem that, that vinegar is one of those substances that tends to, in fact, I don't know if that's the right word. You know, I'm just taking this from a from a sort of a taste standpoint, right? That, you know, uh, vinegar would dominate the honey. It would it would render the honey not honey, <laughs> or or, or right. significantly compromise the uh, you know the sort of the lack of honey, uh, or, or sorry, compromise the character of the honey, right? Uh, right. And and so, uh, is vinegar is that a kind of a stand-in for something? I don't know rotten i don't know i don't know it's fascinating right. and, uh,
0: i mean because it doesn't it show up in, in fermentation oftentimes Vinegar- well, for yeah. sure yeah 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 and i don't know if honey acts as a preservative or not i don't really know we don't, we don't use it that way anymore no
1: we don't no we do not um huh. oh you know that's just interesting i, I...
0: what is it from it's a commentary from on first john it looks like
1: yeah you know this in sort of the riffing on the the God, yeah, it's really interesting.
0: It is. We cannot ask for the superficial, uncomfortable things that we desire at this moment—that meager, misplaced hope that leads us away from God.
1: Yeah, I, I, I saw that same, that same thing really jumped out at me. Right there's this need for an inner purification. He says right above that. And boy, right now, and you know, I, I don't want to make this too too topical, but I see just this abounding desire for the superficial, you know, the desire to sort of make things pat and comfortable, you know. And I'm yeah. astounded really by the the focus on comfort. <laughs> uh look, I, and I'm as guilty as the next person. I'm I, I realize that uh, in this, and in most things I'm throwing rocks from glass houses, but the, the desire for the comfortable over and against the truth. And he goes on to say we must learn to purify our desires, right? And this is what strikes me so much, as you know, I work with students all the time. I'm a high school teacher, and this um, preeminence of desire, right? Well, I desire it, therefore it is good, and there's this sort of this automatic um confirmation this automatic baptism of desire and it's like well you know you can want the wrong things like that's actually possible <laughs> you know and i spent so much of my time talking about you know dante you know spends so much of his time talking i mean all of the souls that they encounter in hell essentially want the wrong things in, in a disordered way like literally out of order way you know it's rarely that the things themselves um are bad right but it's you know, uh, it, it's it's the disordered element of that. So he goes on, he says, we must learn to purify, this is, um, sorry, um, Benedict goes on to say, we must learn to purify our desires and our hopes, which, God, that's also really interesting, mm. the mm. purification of our hopes. And then here he says, we must free ourselves from the hidden lies with which we deceive ourselves. Man, right. That is, um, I feel like, I feel like that's something i need to have tweeted at me every day
0: well it's just an interesting phenomenon it's like why that that whole dynamic of deceiving ourselves like I know, you yes. know that saying you know i know i guess also augustine I, I know of many men who want to deceive but none who wishes to be deceived right but i guess if we do it to ourselves maybe it's okay
1: well, we'll share, sure. because so often we do it to ourselves ignorantly, right? I mean, we do it to right. ourselves because we have convinced ourselves that it is somehow the, the you know, the proper good. It's right. like, well, well no, um, not not really. You know, that that the lies that I tell myself out loud perhaps are easier to deal with. It's the lies that I tell myself when I don't even know I'm doing it. I think those are the ones that should cause us great pause. But right, yeah. that, that, that's even a possible category that I can lie to myself so well um, that I'm, that I'm hiding it from my conscious self. I mean, that is a, a truly, um, I mean, I think everybody should be quaking in your boots, um, recognizing that this is a, a possibility. Yeah. I
0: think, I think
1: Benedict wrote a whole something, I don't know what it was about conscience.
0: And I imagine it gets into that because after
1: the council, it's like, oh, if your conscience says it, conscience. Yeah. Up, hey. Yeah, you know that. I've had. I know that's funny. In the last, you know, five years or so, I've had more conversations with people about conscience than than I think they had during, you know, uh, the 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 Reformation in England. It's this strange presumption that you could actually have a, a a fully formed conscience. I, I take the point, right? That 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 external structures can be so rigid and so overbearing that they become tyrannical, right? right. And, and and ultimately infantilizing. I definitely get the point. And I'm and I'm also uh, see that as a warning. But 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 I also believe that we 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 really kid ourselves if we think we don't have crevices and nooks and canyons and chasms in our heart that we are that we are fully aware of, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I was intrigued by what he said below that after he talks about the Keep going, yeah. Of, yeah, go ahead my conscience. he says, "If God does not exist, perhaps I have to seek refuge in these
1: lies." Oh wow, because there's no one who can forgive me. Yeah, God, this is so interesting because I've been texting a friend the other day, just yesterday, I think it was, and we were astounded at, you know, who knows what the heck's going on anywhere, right? And and and, and, you know, and and we were just talking about people's. uh, It almost seems like people are asking to be lied to, you know. And the song that 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 bad bad song from the eighties keep pop kept popping in my head you know tell me lies tell me lies tell me sweet little lies and i I think i've even said that in this podcast you know i just it it just keeps coming back to me it's like we want like we want oddly enough someone to lie to me like we want somebody to lie to me i I, i'm going to seek refuge in these sweet little lies you know it's like you know, think of the election and think of politics. It's like, yeah. you know, please, somebody tell me a bad lie because I can't handle uh, the truth otherwise. I just is just this is this is, you know, this this whole idea is so rich um, and necessary right now.
0: Yeah. And so I, I would think if 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 we're trying to appeal to people who don't necessarily perceive God's existence. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. It might not be that the idea of a you know a omnipotent God is 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 beyond their their possibility to conceive, but it's just too dangerous.
1: Well, right, you know, because and look, here's the thing, right? The 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 the, the fellow, you know, the the what we see too often, you know, perhaps amongst the churched and the churching, um, we seem to see too often a desire to sort of live by other comfortable lies, right? So so it's not like we churchy folk have um you know uh wound ourselves off of the self-deceptions and the lies right so right. I could imagine you know uh an old new atheist or a new old atheist or whatever you know being like look you guys are you are living in in a kind of delusion and you know so the point is that you know, yeah fine people live in delusions but you know what about the lies that you're telling yourself, right? And 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 I think that's the the much more difficult conversation. It's such a you know, and that ventures us into sort of the 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 Dostoevsky land, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. The that there's you know there's a there's an initial you know lie-ridden naivete that has to be shed, uh, but in order to shed th- that naive liescape. You know, you have to become a kind of skeptic. Yet, once you become a skeptic, then that sort of produces a kind of a next level system that, 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 that rests upon another lie. And then you have to find, you know, that, 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 that substrata or, or a superstrata, you know, from which to ground, you know, how can you tell the difference between the truth and the lie? Right, really fascinating, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of Raskolnikov right now, you know, and, and, and you know, it's, it's humiliating for him, you know, uh, to admit what he has done right? That right. that he that he too is, you know, fine, it's easy to see that the pawnbroker is living by a lie. It's easy to see that she's, you know, in inimical and wretched and awful and, and all of those things, right? There's, it's not like that's not true. He's, right. he's correct about the pawnbroker in terms of his judgment of her character, you know, but, but what he seems incapable of, I mean, naturally at the beginning is seeing his own lie ridden uh person um and and that only comes about through this this utterly humiliating business in which he gets caught by the by the captain mm-hmm. you know and 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 he and and he has to he has to turn himself in like can you imagine anything more <laughs> yeah. uh upsetting right i mean like it's right. terrible you know yeah it's
0: it's fascinating stuff i i, I think a passages from John Paul II's Splendor of Truth, because he gets Mm -hmm. into this in the last chapter. He's like, uh, you know, it's acceptable to acknowledge your weakness and your inability to close the gap between what is required of us and, and, and our own behavior. What's unacceptable is the kind of the
1: recalibration of the truth so that i don't have to face my shortcomings right 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 that's exactly right that no, yeah that i see exactly what you're doing here with with, with skaldikov right it's like, you know so like the original critique is not wrong right no it's but, not. But, but but if the critique is to be worth it it has to also then be able you have to swivel the critique onto you right and that seems to be the, the the sort of the these lies that Benedict is talking about here. You know, these, these lies that need to be exposed, these hidden lies that need to be exposed within me. I am culpable for the numbness of my conscience and my incapacity to recognize the evil in me for what it is. Again, mm-hmm. I need somebody to tweet that out at me every day, too. You know, it's like... <laughs> you know, get, get that onto the conscience, you know, the, 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 the relevance realization, <laughs> get it in front of me. It needs to be on my, on my, on my screen or, you know, or I'm, I'm going to be damned.
0: And I, in the, that paragraph 34, I think it's really interesting what he says about the prayers of the church. Yeah, go too. Yeah, I do too. Cause we, I think we ha- all have our inner narratives and it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. how we overcome them unless we look at something, you know that the church gives us. It's like, oh wow, yeah, that's not the way the church talks about it.
1: Go ahead. M- we say more about that? I mean, if
0: you read the Psalms, I mean, there, there's all this confidence in the mercy of God. Obviously, yeah, has yeah. power to save. That's not. That's not necessarily where we go by default in our minds. Where do we go? Well, I think sometimes we we go. I can't be forgiven. This is uniquely, you know, shameful or whatever.
1: I'm uniquely wretched. I am uniquely terrible. Yeah, of course. Yeah, right.
0: Or 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 even you know, I feel put upon because other people have a false standard.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't. I feel like I vacillate between you know. Um, radical personal recrimination and 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 radical sort of no judgment, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh Kale, Kale, you know, don't be so hard on yourself, Kale. Right? I mean, it's just weird. I mean, I feel like I'm. Well, truth be told, I feel like I'm nine or ten different people at times. But no, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, mean, I, I I keep I go back and forth to being like really hard on myself and then like really soft on myself, and it's like. I probably need to find an inner, you know, a uh, balance maybe between those two things. But those are my poles. I don't know what that well, comes from. Yeah, but I
0: think if you took the Old Testament and like enacted it in time lapse, you'd be like, "Wow, that's really messed up," because <laughs> that's kind of what it is. It's kind yeah. of like isolation.
1: That's <laughs> no, that's right. No, that's right. That that's exactly right.
0: <laughs> the forgetfulness. I mean, that that that. Where is it? It's from one of the somewhere in the Torah still, right? Where they just rediscovered the book or the law. They're like, oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. They Uh, just like misplaced it. Yeah,
1: yeah, Yeah. no, it's funny. I was reading that a couple of months ago. I was reading that exact passage. I'm like, guys, how do you forget this? Like, (laughs) you know i I, I, ordered your whole life together and you forgot it it might even be in the pentateuch now that i'm thinking about it, it's it's fairly early on you're like guys how did you forget this
0: you know i want to say um yeah if it's not in deuteronomy it's maybe
1: numbers but i I just remember i just remember they'd, they'd totally forgotten about it yeah you know which came as a you know i you know i'd Read it years ago during college, but now I you know, literally I just read it this this past year at some point one of these months, and yeah. and it it's funny it's funny you bring that up it struck me I'm like wait you forgot <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know, like how how how'd you forget that like and and you know and then of course I I I, I have to write, oh yes that's right it's what we do right really? <laughs> you know it's what we do. Yeah, but you know, the the drama of the Israelites is is precisely the or you know, analogously perhaps, the drama that I enact inside of me every flipping day. You
0: know? Right. Well, to to the credit of whoever discovered it, they didn't just kick the dust back over
1: it and go we don't need this. This is true. Yeah, they <laughs> they yeah, they, they re-embrace it with, with much nerve. Right, <laughs> that's right. Whew, not going to let that happen again. I'm glad you know, the right person found it. Yeah, right. Some, some people may have been inclined to just sort of life keep you just stay there.
0: Um, what else we got here in the forty thirty-four
1: Well, I, I love I love this idea, you know, because you know that that the, there are times in my life, I suppose, that I've felt um confident in in personal prayer right you know confident in um my ability to talk to god like i'm talking Mm -hmm. you know to to whomever right and then there are certainly times where it's like i just need to say hail mary like yeah that's all i got you know and and i and i think there's a real i think there's a real um there's a real wisdom in that too of course you know that 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 you, you really do kind of need both. I mean, you can see the problems of mere rote, right? Yeah. You can certainly see that, 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 that potential problem, but uh, you know, you also uh, can see the problem of, of, of only doing, you know, Lord, we just ask Lord, you know, we just, you know, the the just, just, just prayer that we, you and I used to joke about when we lived in Hollywood. You know, it's like, uh, it's this weird sort of need to sort of prayer as performative, right? Right. But but significantly was not, was not liturgical, (laughs) right? You know, it's like, you know, it's, and it's like, you know what, sometimes you don't have it in you. Like you need to just say, God, I I need to say Hail Mary right now. Yeah. What would be really interesting is, I remember from studying liturgy like
0: the the formation of the liturgical prayers, like in some of those early documents, I don't know if it was Didache or something else, but mm-hmm. when they're describing the way people pray, they're like, and then the 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 priest says this or something to this effect, and eventually that stuff just kind of was like, well, yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna lean on the inspiration or the spontaneous, you know. Brilliance of, of the presbyter. We're
1: we're going to kind of codify this because yeah, um, there's dangers. Yeah, totally, totally leaning on the spontaneity. Totally, yeah. No, that's interesting that it, that it shows up even that early. Um, yeah, uh, well, again, you know, to be fair, it makes makes total total sense. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there was learned through many, much hard experience. Yeah, let's see. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's unlearned after the council. Say, say that again. Yeah, I it, Yeah, <laughs> yeah gosh, what could possibly
0: go wrong if I just make these birds up myself? Isn't that true? <laughs> isn't, yeah, seriously, isn't that true? I mean, yeah. all right. Should we jump on to the next
1: section? Yeah. Part two: action and suffering as settings for learning hope. All serious and upright human contact is hope in action. This is so, first of all, in the sense that we are we thereby strive to realize our lesser and greater hopes, to complete this or that task which is important for our onward journey, or we work toward a brighter and more humane world so as to open doors into the future. Yet, our daily efforts in pursuing our own lives and in working for the world's future either tire us or turn into fanaticism unless we are enlightened by the radiance of the great hope that cannot be destroyed even by small-scale failures or by a breakdown in matters of historic importance if we cannot hope for more than is effectively attainable at any given time or more than is promised by political or economic authorities Our lives will soon be without hope. It is important to know that I can always continue to hope, even if in my own life or the historical period in which I am living there seems to be nothing left to hope for. Only the great certitude of hope that my own life and history in general, despite all failures, are held firm by the indestructible power of love and that this gives them their meaning and importance. Only this kind of hope can then give the courage to act and to persevere. Certainly, we cannot build the kingdom of God by our own efforts. What we build will always be the kingdom of man, with all the limitations proper to our human nature. The kingdom of God is a gift, and precisely because of this, it is great and beautiful and constitutes the response to our hope. And we cannot, to use the classical expression, merit, Heaven through our works. Heaven is always more than we could merit, just as being loved is never something merited, but always a gift. However, even when we are fully aware that heaven far exceeds what we can merit, it will always be true that our behavior is not indifferent before God and therefore is not indifferent for the unfolding of history. We can open ourselves and the world and allow God to enter. We can open ourselves to truth, to love, to what is good. This is what the saints did, those who, as God's fellow workers, contributed to the world's salvation. We can free our life and the world from the poisons and contaminations that could destroy the present and the future. We can uncover the sources of creation and keep them unsullied, and in this way, we can make a right use of creation which comes to us as a gift according to its intrinsic requirements and ultimate purpose. This makes sense even if outwardly we achieve nothing or seem powerless in the face of overwhelmingly hostile forces. So on the one hand, our actions engender hope for us and for others, but at the same time, it is the great hope based upon God's promises that gives us courage and directs our action in good times and bad. Where you at?
0: I don't know. I'm, I'm just looking at again at that section. <clears throat> even when we are fully aware that heaven far exceeds what we can merit, it will always be true that our behavior is not indifferent before God, and yeah. therefore is not indifferent for the unfolding of history. Yeah, it's an interesting kind of balance, or I don't know if it's even a balance, but dynamic at least.
1: Yeah. I also find it fascinating you know that that he he rightly you know reminds us of the, the you know the famous Augustinian distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man or in augustine i think says city of God and the city of man but you know, the same basic idea here you know that's it uh, it's fascinating right that that he comes back to this you know uh, correctly right i mean this is the and 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 the relative uh short-sightedness uh or clear-sightedness you know that we cannot overly distract ourselves with with our own creations here you know that 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 actually we need to have some humility about it i think yeah yeah what we can actually pull off you know right um and 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 you know, anyway, yeah, no. So I think that that is that that, that is important. You know, and and, and struck, of course, that he did. We can, he says, certainly we cannot build the kingdom of God by our own efforts. I
0: feel like he probably was uh, referencing some liturgical music.
1: Oh yeah, build a city, got yeah, no, totally. Yeah, yeah. No, but but I mean, but but all joking aside, I mean, I think that's exactly right. I mean, in so much of 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 what 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 passes for this kind of conversation in the church right now is, you know, that, um, you know you know, it's the here, it's the now. I mean, look, I mean, I think this is the whole, you know, the great reset and and all of these kinds of things that we're seeing bandied, bandied about with all of our betters, you know? Um, but, but I'm struck here too, you know, he says, if we cannot hope for more, um, than is effectively attainable at any given time or more than is promised by political or economic authorities, our lives will soon be without hope. In other words, he's saying that the pursuit of the business of the city of God of the kingdom, sorry, the city of man and the kingdom of man will necessarily lead to a loss of actual hope. Right. I mean, he just sort of slips that in there. Right. But I mean, I, I think that's, that's <clears throat> such an important point, you know, that we can distract ourselves you know, with you know the uh, sort of metaphysical version of of urban planning, um, and still really, really miss the point. Um, and in fact, in that, in that, can distract us away from hope. It's really interesting. Yeah. Really yeah, interesting. yeah. You know, he says he says, it is important to know that I can always continue to hope, even if my own life or the historical period in which I am living, there seems to be nothing left to hope for. Yeah. You know, which we also pretend is is somehow not in play right like oh that's like that that bad stuff you know like living in a prison you know for 13 years like cardinal or or you know uh or or being a slave uh you know for for many years you'd be like like that's that's old stuff right well right and now we're you know we're we've built back better right and we're fine now right? i mean it's, you know and it's really it's really frustrating yeah. um you know that we seem to again. What is it, what is the theme of this podcast so far? It's like we keep we keep forgetting. Right. Like really, like we keep forgetting something <laughs> deeply important.
0: Yeah, it is kind of comic almost.
1: Oh yeah, no, I mean it's it, yeah. I mean that's like the frame of mind you have to get up. Like for instance, with the Old Testament, you just, the, the only your only recourse is ultimately to sort of laugh because you don't want to cry because like guys, you keep doing the same damn thing. Right. You know, you keep forgetting, you know, you keep, you keep doing the same thing over and over again. So, that yeah, obviously we're that dense, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, if, you know, you would think we would have gotten it by now.
0: Right. Maybe, maybe Ecclesiastes was written by a scribe. He's like, yep. Uh, that's just, yeah.
1: No, it's, it's funny. Yeah. No, that's, that's really funny. That's right.
0: Hmm. Well, let's, let's continue. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Like action, suffering is a part of our human existence. Suffering stems partly from our finitude and partly from the mass of sin, which has accumulated over the course of history and continues to grow unabated today. Certainly, we must do whatever we can to reduce suffering, to avoid as far as possible the suffering of the innocent, to soothe pain, to give assistance in overcoming mental suffering. These are obligations both in justice and in love, and they are included among the fundamental requirements of the Christian life and every truly human life. Great progress has been made in the battle against physical pain. Yet the sufferings of the innocent and mental suffering have, if anything, increased in recent decades. Indeed, we must do all we can to overcome suffering, but to banish it from the world altogether is not in our power. This is simply because we are unable to shake off our finitude and because none of us is capable of eliminating the power of evil, of sin, which, as we plainly see, is a constant source of suffering. Only God is able to do this. Only, God, only a God who personally enters history by making himself man and suffering within history. We know that this God exists and hence that this power to take away the sin of the world is present in the world. Through faith in the existence of this power, hope for the world's healing has emerged in history. Mm. It is, however, hope, not yet fulfillment. Hope that gives us the courage to place ourselves on the side of good, even in seemingly hopeless situations. Aware that, as far as the external course of history is concerned, the power of sin will continue to be a terrible presence. I love that
1: a terrible presence you know it's uh fascinating of course that he does in fact go right into this this business of of suffering right yeah and and that's what is is one of those comfortable delusions that these lies that he talks earlier about that we numb ourselves to that we can somehow carve out a suffering less existence you know And, and he's very careful he's not to say like it's not you know you know suffering should be alleviated as much as possible. Right. That's not, a, that's not, he's not saying that it's not a sort of an argument to just sort of lay it down, but, but rather, um, you know, that, that we can't pretend right. That these lies, you know, that, that suffering is real. And as he says here, in certain respects, uh, a mental uh, mental suffering in particular has probably gotten uh, to be a, a greater reality. Yeah. Um, you know he says great progress has made a bit, has been made in the battle against the physical pain i might say material pain yet the sufferings of the innocent and mental suffering have if anything uh, increased in recent decades and i just i just get the sense that that people pretend otherwise right <clears throat> yes and, and he talks
0: about the two sources of suffering some of it is sin and some of it is our finitude yeah and i don't well, know how he, many people actually believe in their finitude or in our finitude as a corporate body like yeah you
1: know, yeah we're
0: pretty optimistic about like if we get our carbon footprint right
1: yeah yeah no no i mean you, you can see it being dangled in front of people uh, as we speak you know and of course this is the great promise of you know mustafa Mond in the brave in brave new world you know that 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 we we have effectively eliminated suffering, and and I think what John the Savage's point is like, no, what you've effectively done is you've eliminated humanity, right? You know, uh, only God is able, you know, to sort of do this, right? You know, but he says what he says. This is simply, but we are unable to shake off our finitude, and because none of us is capable of eliminating the power of evil of sin, which, <clears throat> as we plainly see, is a constant source of suffering. It's just, there it is, you know, yeah. and I love that, this idea of, you know, hope breaking in, emerging into history, you know, but it, but but again, look at the caution, hope, not yet fulfillment. Yeah. You know, and I think that that too has become such a refrain of, you know, all the varieties of millenarian movements, you know, since, since AD 50, <laughs> that there's always this this sort of promise that you know the kingdom of heaven has been fulfilled and it's like no not not the way you mean it no. you know and yeah. it, that seems to be such a Gnostic tendency that we call we it a million different names, don't we? Right. And and, right. and no one would have the audacity to call it Gnosticism in twenty twenty. Right. But make no mistake, that's precisely what it is. Yeah. You know the power of sin will continue to be a terrible presence. So great, that's just a, a terrible presence, he says.
0: Yeah. As far as the external course of history is concerned. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Th- things, things, you know, as it ever was, right? I mean, I think that's that's the the, the, the through line of that that you know it, it'll be, we're we're going to keep doing us. Right. Right. Hope is possible. But fulfillment is yet to be realized. Right. All right, so paragraph 37. Let us return to our topic. We can try to limit suffering, to fight against it, but we cannot eliminate it. It is when we attempt to avoid suffering by withdrawing from anything that might involve hurt, when we try to spare ourselves the effort and pain of pursuing truth, love, and goodness, that we drift into a life of emptiness in which there may be almost no pain, but the dark sensation of meaninglessness and abandonment is all the greater. It is not by sidestepping or fleeing from suffering that we are healed, but rather by our capacity for accepting it, maturing through it, and finding meaning through union with Christ. Who suffered with infinite love? In this context, I would like to quote a passage from a letter written by the Vietnamese martyr Paul Le Bao Thim in 1857, which illustrates this transformation of suffering through the power of hope springing from faith. Quote, I, Paul, in chains for the name of Christ, wish to relate to you the trials besetting me daily in order that you may be inflamed with love for God and join with me in his praises, for his mercy is forever. The prison here is a true image of everlasting hell, To cruel tortures of every kind, shackles, iron chains, manacles, are added hatred, vengeance, calumnies, obscene speech, quarrels, evil acts, swearing, curses, as well as anguish, and grief. But the God who once freed the three children from the fiery furnace is with me always. He has delivered me from these tribulations and made them sweet, for his mercy is forever." In the midst of these torments, which usually terrify others, I am, by the grace of God, full of joy and gladness. Because I am not alone, Christ is with me. How am I to bear with the spectacle, as each day I see emperors, mandarins, and their retinue, blaspheming your holy name, O Lord, who are enthroned above the cherubim and seraphim? Behold, the pagans have trodden your cross underfoot. Where is your glory? As I see all this, I would, in the ardent love I have for you, prefer to be torn limb from limb and to die as a witness to your love. O Lord, show your power, save me, sustain me, that in my infirmity your power may be shown and may be glorified before the nations. Beloved brothers, as you hear all these things, may you give endless thanks in joy to God, from whom every good proceeds Bless the Lord with me, for his mercy is forever. I write these things to you in order that your faith and mine may be united. In the midst of this storm I cast my anchor toward the throne of God, the anchor that is the lively hope in my heart." This is a letter from hell. It lays bare all the horror of a concentration camp, which of the torments inflicted by tyrants upon their victims is added the outbreak of evil in the victims themselves, such that they, in turn, become further instruments of their persecutors' cruelty. This is indeed a letter from hell, but it also reveals the truth of the psalm text, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I sink to the netherworld, you are present there. If I say, surely the darkness shall hide me, and night shall be my light, for you, darkness itself, is not dark, and night shines as the day. Darkness and light are the same. End quote. Christ descended into hell and is therefore close to those cast into it, transforming their darkness into light. Suffering and torment is still terrible and well-nigh unbearable, yet the star of hope has risen. The anchor of the heart reaches the very throne of God. Instead of evil being unleashed within man, the light shines victorious. Suffering, without ceasing to be suffering, becomes, despite everything, a hymn of praise.
0: I'm, I'm still kind of thinking about those images of the star mm. and the anchor that he uses. Yeah, classic, right? You yeah, know. they really are course they they really have no for modern man they aren't points of reference but i think
1: i think i do think that they retain because we still say that you know such and such is anchored in x y or z but it seems a particular kind of rootedness right it's a yeah the rootedness rooted that that way because like it 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 suggests kind of a
0: firmness or a there's a sure, there's something, there's certitude. in.
1: It. Yeah. Surety. Yeah. I was thinking of surety. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. But I love, I love, you know, this, this, this wrenching testimony, you know, from, yeah. from the prison yeah. and, uh, and, and, and the horror. Right. And, and, and I, he, he just says, you know, Benedict now, after the quotation, you know, this is a letter from hell. I mean, that's just, yeah. it's great. Yeah. And and the fact that those in hell are not only experiencing the suffering of hell, but then they become agents yeah. of their own further torture. It's a uh, sick yeah. and twisted um, X factor. You know, it, it kind of um, it's like exponential or something, right? And there's this is sort of this bad this feedback loop that gets um
0: Yeah, that's that's it. You get the sense that it's kind of a reinforcing yeah. pattern. It's when we attempt to avoid suffering by withdrawing from anything that might involve hurt. Mm. When we try to spare ourselves the effort and pain of pursuing truth, love, and goodness, that we drift into a life of emptiness.
1: So what would he say about retirement? <laughs> Well, he chose it. <laughs> uh, uh, LOL. Um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I walked right in that one, didn't I? Um, I'll, I'll be here uh, but I, but I,
0: was, I was thinking earlier when he talked about, it's precisely because, I mean, in the sense you could say that it might be precisely because of his greater hope that he was just like, I'm not capable anymore. And therefore I, I'm going to step down.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't mean to, to, to throw shade about that. I, I just, the, the idea that, you know, I remember one of my professors in college, you know, she was like, what, what do you mean retirement? Like, this is what I am. This is what I do. And I can't just sort of retreat. Now, look, I, obviously you, you're you allowed to slow down. I don't mean, you know, a total work and then you die, you know. you know, and that's, I, I, I certainly don't. But there's there's this idea that we can just sort of retreat into um mere solitude and that like, like somehow our responsibilities you know cease you
0: know. yeah did that did the concept of retirement even exist before no 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 World i mean
1: well no i mean you know if you look at the, the the reason why they set the retirement age at 65 was that basically people you know the life expectancy was 65 right so you know if you look at the numbers you know the, the amount of people who die within the first two to three years of retirement was you know like a huge amount of people, you know, most people died by then. So no, this whole idea, I mean, look, I know people who've been retired, you know, since 1996, and they're still alive.
0: Okay. So 38. The true measure of humanity is essentially determined in relationship to suffering and to the sufferer. This holds true both for the individual and for society. A society unable to accept its suffering members and incapable of helping to share their suffering and to bear it inwardly through compassion is a cruel and inhuman society. Mm -hmm. Yet society cannot accept its suffering members and support them in their trials unless individuals are capable of doing so themselves. Moreover, the individual cannot accept another's suffering unless he personally is able to find meaning in suffering a path of purification and growth in maturity, a journey of hope. Indeed, to accept the other who suffers means that I take up his suffering in such a way that it becomes mine also. Because it has now become a shared suffering, though, in which another person is present, this suffering is penetrated by the light of love. The Latin word consolatio, consolation, expresses this beautifully. It suggests being with the other in his solitude so that it ceases to be solitude. Furthermore, the capacity to accept suffering for the sake of goodness, truth, and justice is an essential criterion of humanity, because if my own well-being and safety are ultimately more important than truth and justice, then the power of the stronger prevails. Then violence and untruth reign supreme. Truth and justice must stand above my comfort and physical well-being. Or else my life itself becomes a lie. There we in go. The, yeah. In the end, even the yes to love is a source of suffering. Wow. This love always requires expropriations of my I, in which I allow myself to be pruned and wounded. Love simply cannot exist without this painful renunciation of myself, for otherwise it becomes pure selfishness and thereby ceases to be love. Holy smokes. <laughs>
1: That's just amazing! Oh my goodness. A couple of things. Wow, you know, uh, we can get to that last part in a minute because that goodness—that's so good. Um, uh, challenging, uh, really good though. Um, but I'm fascinated that he he starts riffing on consolatio, right? Because if you recall, three, four, five paragraphs ago, he was talking about isolatio, right? Isolation, right? right? That. Uh, yes. You know the the, the twin of the, the you know the 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 breeding ground of despair, and here he he recognizes that consolatio, that that the sort of the, the the person is present, the suffering is penetrated. Right, it suggests being with the other in his solitude, so that it ceases to be solitude, and that's just amazing. Yeah. It is amazing. amazing. I was actually on a Zoom call last night with a few
0: friends, <clears throat> a bunch of actually single young adults. And we were just talking about how weird this year it has been. But did also you did you
1: say single? single? Is that what you said? Yeah,
0: a bunch of single yeah, Catholics. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and and just the observation for a couple of them was that people seem to be less available right now. We're trying to figure out why that is. The people that we used to reach out to are just not. And I think you know families are obviously under a lot of pressure themselves. They got new th- challenges with both. Maybe both of them are working at home, and they got a yeah. And then they're on Zoom, the
1: kids are on Zoom too, or Google
0: Hangouts or whatever. Yeah. But even the other single people are not reaching out in the same way. And I think part of it is this, the sense that because of what's going on right now is kind of global, that yeah. probably if I reach out and have that conversation, I'm going to discover that person is like at the end of their rope too. And maybe I just can't bear. Can't quite, quite bear. With it. With That's that. so interesting. Maybe I shouldn't check in because I can't really deal with it.
1: Yeah, I know. That makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I, I think about, you know, obviously, you know, I'm, uh, for our listeners, I'm married and I have three children and, you know, it, it's not like I, I have any practical solitude or isolation, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but I would know, but I, but I was thinking, you know, but I have, I have all the consolation, speaking of consolation, you know, like I, I have human contact, you know, I, I, I have my wife and I have my children and we can, you know, we don't have to social distance inside. I mean, we can hang out at dinner, even though nobody's left the house for days on end here. Right. I mean, it's it's winter time. Right. And, but it's uh, you know, I, I can hug my children. Uh, You know, I, I have these things. And I think about single people, they, they, like, you know, every normal human contact that I get to experience like you don't have it all because you, everybody's sort of constantly on edge. Um, and then, and then, and then you, which then you lose, I think your capacity or, or you, you're always in danger of losing your capacity to give, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of, you know, I remember as a kid, uh, you know, I was training to be a lifeguard and, and, And one of the things they always insisted on is like, look, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with somebody who's thrashing or flailing in the pool or the, or the, or the lake or where, wherever you are, you know, you really, you you need to go up to them, but you kind of need to keep your distance because you need to make sure that they're not going to freak out and take you both down. Exactly. You know, and I wonder, I wonder if that's part of of what, sorry, I just popped the the mic. I wonder if that's not part of what y'all are seeing, Clayton. Right, you know that 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 you know you know that you're tired, you know that you're stretched, you know that you're, and then you 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 hate to either force that upon somebody else or that somebody else is going to take you down. Right, so it's
0: like I hope they're I hope they're only in a mild crisis. Maybe I'll call them tonight because maybe the crisis is mild this evening. I can handle it. Yeah, yeah, but it's an interesting challenge. I mean, but there's also, of course, that dynamic of if you don't reach out, then you're just sort of stuck in your miserable eye which isn't getting
1: pruned and wounded yeah 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 it's a it's it's suffocation as opposed to sort of pruning you mm-hmm. know um it's interesting that image of pruning I, I this morning i was listening to somebody and they were talking about taleb's concept of of fragility and anti-fragility and and the idea you know that that you know you need you know the, the body in, in for instance needs certain stress in order for it to um build out its its strength yeah you know and, and i'm interested in, it, in these terms like if you're not if, if this isolation is keeping you from this pruning process then you you know you sort of become yeah. fragile which right. i think is what you're what you're talking about here yep. with with this group yeah I, jordan peterson
0: uh, interviewing wim Hof.
1: I, I saw that he interviewed. I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen yeah, it
0: cause yet. It, Cause it, it suggests that like physically we need that stress in order for our body to like build up an immune response. And the problem that like we don't oh. expose ourselves to cold water. Yeah. And as a result, our immune systems are compromised because they need that stress challenge.
1: Which you know you can see that stress as a kind of stimulant, right? As a kind right. of um, you know, hey, you know, we're up, we're up, and we're going here. You know, yeah, no, I, I mean, it really it makes a certain amount of intuitive, intuitive counterintuitive sense, right? Um, yeah, no, I think there's something too. I'll have to, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, um, but I know I, I just want to I want to get to this last part of this paragraph yeah. because I think it's so powerful. Um, you know truth and justice must stand above my comfort and physical well-being or else my life itself becomes a lie and i just love that reconnecting to this stuff that he says earlier that we already talked about about the mm-hmm. these little lies that we tell ourselves these comforting lies you know that and that our lives then become a lie you know in the end even the yes to love is a source of suffering and again i, I you know getting off, riffing off of your your zoom call from yesterday you know that it, it's It's easier, I think, in some regards for a married person to uh, embrace the the, the the sort of the suffering of the yes to love because they're literally right there right right You're you know but, you. yeah, I can't avoid Jack he's you know my son and he needs to you know whatever get up, get dressed, get some food you know whatever whatever you know homework you know et cetera um, you know it's it's like I don't have to really look hard for suffering like it's it's right there. But he goes on to say, even the yes to love is a source of suffering because love always requires expropriations of my I, in which I allow myself to be pruned and wounded, right? I mean, it's like, of course, love simply cannot exist without this painful renunciation of myself, for otherwise it becomes pure selfishness and thereby ce- and thereby ceases to be love. And God, you know, you see that it's like this... Yeah, it's almost love, right? It's like it's like you right. can see why it's so easy for lovers to be selfish, right? Right, and therefore, it, if it's it's almost if it, if if it, if it's not open to the anti fragile benefits of suffering, then it becomes a mask for narcissism. You know, um, right?
0: Well, it, it is interesting to see how people can can be in a relationship with sort of like they there's an agreed upon I, I won't i won't bother you you won't bother me kind of thing yeah yeah you know we don't really cha- where people don't really challenge each other and so it, it it they they can sort of insulate themselves because they agree that there's certain things that they will not
1: suffer yeah you know and and it's it's uh it's easy to do you know yeah. it's, it's easy to I mean, even, even you know, it's, it's an act of faith, right? I mean, to allow yourself to be hurt. Right. It sounds so weird, but it, it definitely <laughs> strikes me as true. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. mean, it definitely strikes me as true. I have to, I have to think on this one. On. Yeah.
0: He's got, a, Benedict has a great quote in another book. I think it's Salt of the Earth. It's an interview with Peter Seawald, And he's oh, yeah. got this whole um, section about love where he gets into that. In similar terms, I'm trying to see if uh, I can find it. This is a short little passage, but it sounds very similar. I think it probably was written before this.
1: I think um, it was.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it was probably written in the late 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Love means being dependent on something that perhaps can be taken away from me. And it therefore introduces a huge risk of suffering into my life. Hence the express or tacit refusal. Before having constantly to bear this risk, before seeing my self-determination limited, before coming to depend on something I can't control so that I can plunge suddenly into nothingness, I would rather not have love. Whereas the decision that comes from Christ is another. Yes to love, for it alone, precisely with the risk of suffering and the risk of losing oneself, brings man to himself and makes him what he should be. I think that that is really the true drama of history.
1: (sighs) Yeah. Risk. Yeah. Pain. I mean, cause that's what, that's ultimately what it is. Right. Right. Yep. And, and as he says earlier on, like opening yourself up to knowing that even in your worst moments, knowing that it will somehow, have, it will somehow have been meaningful. Right. Remember he says that, you know, it's like, you know, even if our lives seem to be without hope, um, you know, we 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 have that sense that it will have it will have meant something yes yeah exactly
0: thanks for joining me for this episode of the weight of glory the music in the introduction and close of this podcast is provided by dennis cromit learn more about dennis at denniscromit.bandcamp.com or in the show notes. If you're enjoying this podcast or wish to send along a question or a friendly critique, drop me a note on Twitter at Weight of Glory or send me an email at podcast at gmail.com. Also, I'd appreciate it if you'd spread the word via your social channels and most especially, I'd welcome reviews over at Apple Podcasts. There are links in the show notes to make it easier to contact me or to spread the word. Until next time, be well and God bless.